if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go with us to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter 10. We began this message last week and did not finish it. Uh, this is the, the second part of this. This text where Jesus is explaining to his disciples, you remember if you were here, a great difference between greatness and leadership in the earthly kingdoms of this world versus greatness and leadership as it relates to the kingdom of God. That is the heart of the text. And let me just say briefly by way of introduction that the kingdom of God, a lot of times when we think of the kingdom of God, we think of it in future tense, and certainly it is, but the kingdom of God is not just future glory. In fact, when the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God was coming in the future, he answered to them in Luke chapter 17 and verse 21, neither shall they say, lo, here, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And we don't have time this morning to explore all the ins and outs of that, but the kingdom of God is both present and future. Jesus often speaks of the mystery of the kingdom. And so with a sober awareness of the mystery of the kingdom present right now, yet future as well, fulfilled but not consummated, we are called in this life, as he says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, and if you know it, say it with me, to seek first the kingdom of God. To seek first, as his believers, the kingdom of God. And to realize that the kingdom of God is very different from the kingdom here. And this should be the description of all of our lives as the children of God, as his believers, that we are seeking first his kingdom. We're actively involved in what we've seen this morning, his mission for the gospel going to the world. And so the passage before us is, is instructive to how we can practically do that. How can we practically live out the gospel? How can we practically seek first the kingdom of God? If you're able to stand, let's stand for the reading of God's word. And we will read this passage again, beginning in verse number 32 and read down through verse 45. They were in the way. They're on their way up to Jerusalem where you remember Jesus is, is going to be crucified. But they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. Saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests, unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and scourge him and shall spit upon him and kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would you that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant us that we may sit, one on thy right hand, one on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what ye ask. Can you drink, the, drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized, with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. 
And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him. And here he's going to teach them this lesson and this difference about the kingdom of God and our attitude as Christians and as believers. And he said unto them, You know that that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But notice verse 43, and Mark verse 43. So shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Father, we pray in these next few moments that the Holy Spirit of God would again speak to our hearts, encourage us, challenge us where we need it. We pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today and they've never put their faith and trust in you, that today would be the day of their salvation. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, The verse there in verse 43 is so very important. He says to them, So shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister or your servant. And the point is simple. Worldly ideas, the world's ideas of status and privilege have no place in the kingdom of God. We will not reach the world by matching them in our thinking and attitudes as we looked at last week. We will reach them as they see a difference in our life. A difference in the way that we view riches as we saw in the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, A difference in how we view leadership and greatness and service as we see in today's passage. And last week we looked at the first two parts of this. And number one by way of review is that kingdom greatness is the way of suffering. Kingdom greatness is not the way of status. It is often the way of suffering. And he reminds them this by reminding them for the third time in three chapters that he is going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. An idea that as, an idea that as his disciples and his followers who grew up with a Jewish mindset under Judaism that they could not grasp, that they did not want to accept. His purpose was certainly to come and to suffer as an example to the disciples. Why? Because they were going to suffer. We looked at that last week. They were going to give their lives. But there was even a greater purpose than that. The greater purpose of why Jesus must suffer and die and go to Jerusalem and do this is so that my sin and your sin could be paid for because we couldn't pay for it. And as we saw Wednesday night, sin brought about an irrevocable edict of eternal death to all of mankind. We're all born into sin. And Romans 6.23 tells us this. The wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of our sin is death. So why did Jesus come? Why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to die? Because he was the only one who could offer a ransom, a payment from that edict of death. So Romans 6.23 begins with bad news. The wages of our sin is death, but then it gives us great news. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
This is why he suffered. This is why he needed to go to Jerusalem. And so he suffered uh, for a saving purpose. And yet he also calls on us to be prepared as his followers to be prepared to suffer for his sake and the gospel's sake. And our suffering has no saving purpose. It doesn't save anybody, but it, it sanctifies us. It conforms us to the image of Christ. And it also helps us be able to point other people to the suffering of Jesus Christ and the death of Jesus Christ that does have a saving purpose. And then we looked at this great reality that suffering doesn't end with suffering. How many of you are thankful for that? And the reason that it doesn't is because verse 34, and the third day he shall rise again. So, He calls on us to suffering, but we know this suffering leads to glory and victory and triumph because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said, if I rise again, you can be sure as my followers that you will rise again. And so kingdom greatness, he says, is is not the way of status. It's the way of suffering. He also tells them kingdom greatness is the way of surrender in verse number 40, uh, that it isn't for them to be concerned whether they're going to sit on his right hand or on his left hand. They were, they were looking for significance. And he says, what is more important than significance is surrender. And last week we looked at the, this. What keeps us from surrendering? And it's the great enemy of pride. Pride wants us to be in control. It wants us to hold on. And so Jesus calls on the disciples to surrender their human desire for position. Birthed out of pride. And the bottom line in scripture is this, as we saw last week. God hates pride and he will not be in its presence. The Bible says God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. And so in order to come to faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, guess what you got to do? You got to humble yourself before him. And realize that you have a need that only he can meet. And to be used by God, we have to surrender our life after salvation to say it's not about me. It's not about significance. It's not about position. It is about surrender, absolute surrender. God, what do you want to to do with my life? My life verse is John chapter 3 and verse 30 where John the Baptist said, He, speaking of Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that is it, so that we can be small in in a way that will point other people not to myself, but to Jesus Christ. There's only one way to true freedom from self and from sin, and that is found in an unconditional surrender to Jesus Christ and a complete submission to his authority in our life. Jesus, again, he's saying we must be careful that our path of success, quote-unquote, looks different than that of the world's. Have you surrendered your story to Jesus? Have you surrendered your stuff to Jesus? Have you surrendered yourself to God and said, God, whatever it is you want of my life, just like these missionaries, just like the bars who are leaving today, their life in America, and they're going to Mexico to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying absolute surrender, whatever it is that I want to use your life for. And I want to give to you so that you can advance the kingdom of God. We are willing to do that. Listen, the idea of greatness in the kingdom of God actually looks more like surrender than control. 
And what he wants them to know is that it actually looks more like washing feet than sitting in prominent seats in the kingdom of God. And he's going to exemplify that here in just a few weeks, the night before his death. Kingdom greatness is the way to surrender, letting go. And by the way, there's something very liberating about surrender. The world would tell you opposite. If you surrender, you're going to be miserable. No, as a child of God, we know this. As long as you try to hold on and control, you're going to be miserable. But as soon as you will surrender and let go, it's liberating. It's freedom. There's a freedom there found in surrender. There are, sn- there are no, this is what Jesus wants them to know. There are no big jobs or small jobs in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't matter which sit, seat we sit in as long as in that seat we can wash feet and we can serve people. Jesus is clear, my kingdom is more about sacrifice than safety. Let me say that again. It's more about sacrifice than safety. And it's more about surrender than significance. And then he says, thirdly, and I'll try to get through these last two as quickly as possible, that kingdom greatness is the way of service. It's the way of service. We see this in verses 41 down through verse 44 where he tells them the way that the world serves or views service or leadership is not the same as we should view it. What we discover in this passage is that the measure of an individual's greatness is not the number of servants that are serving them, not the number of servants in their house, not the number of servants that work for them, but the amount of people or the extent to which we are prepared to live in service to others. And that is the key in verse 43. He says this type of self-exalting leadership is not to be displayed from leaders who are a part of the kingdom of God. And his language is radical. Whoever wants to be first must be the servant, literally the word slave of all. This is a call for humble service. And this humble service, where does it, how do we get to this place of humble service? It, it flows from absolute surrender. So when we have surrendered all to the Lord, then from that comes a, a willingness, a desire to humbly serve the Lord underneath his authority. Jesus says in the kingdom of God, it is in serving that greatness is displayed. Honor is found not in getting honor. Honor is found in giving honor. The way up is down. Let me ask you this morning, where are you serving God? Where, as you look at your life, are you serving him? Who are you serving? And are, the, are you okay with the, the places of your service being what the world might look at as a lowly place of service? The unseen places. Are you using your gifts? Are you using your talents for more than just building up a nest egg and, and more than just investing in this kingdom here on this earth? Are you using the gifts that God has given you to invest in the kingdom of God? That is what it's all about. That's what seeking first the kingdom of God is. He says, so shall it not be among you. Don't look to be served. 
but rather look to serve. The word servant there or slave refers to someone without rights. They have surrendered their rights to their master. And Jesus is saying, don't take your cues about leadership and greatness from the world. Because in the kingdom of God, just like everything else in the world, it's completely opposite in the kingdom of God. It's about serving. And then lastly, he says it's the way of sacrifice. Verse 45. For even the Son of Man, even the one with authority, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Again, Jesus leads the way because that's how leaders in the kingdom of God lead. They lead by example. And so Jesus leads the way in suffering and in surrender and service and sacrifice. And it says here, the Son of Man. And that term is important because that is a a term of authority and majesty used in the book of Daniel, by the way, to talk about the the Messiah and his, his authority, his majesty. He says, Jesus, the Son of the Son of Man, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one with absolute authority. Paul said this about him in Philippians chapter 2. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a what? Of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he what? Humbled himself. We're talking about God. He humbled himself. He became a servant. And he, God, became obedient to his father unto death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus leads the way in sacrificial and surrendered servant leadership. But listen, don't miss it. This is not just a verse about servant leadership, although it is. It does teach that. But this verse is the gospel in a verse. Our sacrifice for you and I, our sacrifice, as we mentioned, is not, does not have a saving purpose. It is to proclaim the payment that Jesus has made for us. He said, I came to minister, not to be ministered to. I came to give my life as a ransom, as a payment for many. And so the grand truth of verse 45 is not necessarily a leadership lesson, but it is this, that Jesus' sacrifice was for the payment of our sin. Did you know that he came to serve us and to minister to us? God did. In the person of Jesus Christ, when he left heaven and he came to this earth, he came to serve us in dying for us. He came to minister to us. So how, how, when you look at that picture and you see that God, in all of his majesty, in all of his authority, left heaven, became a man, humbled himself, became obedient to a crucifixion, death. How can we look at that? And say, God, you can have this, but you can't have that. You can have, you know, I may come, I may tip you every once in a while. I may come for a a, a service here and there. I, I may come and do some type of project here and there. But don't ask too much of my life. When you and I conceive the gospel and what he sacrificed for us, how can we say anything other than I surrender all to you? It's all yours. Whatever you want, I'm willing to give up. The message was rejected then, and listen, 
It's largely rejected today as well, isn't it? The story of suffering, the story of a, of a Messiah who suffered and bled is not an acceptable message to many. It doesn't look like success to a world that is brainwashed by the God of this world. And listen, if you and I are not careful, we begin to think that's the way to greatness and leadership too. And Jesus corrects us and says it's about suffering, it's about surrender, it's about service, it's about sacrifice. It's not what you see in the world. The truth is that this message that we're preaching, this gospel, you know what the Bible says? It's foolishness to them who don't believe. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But for you and I who have accepted it, it is the power of God unto salvation. And that makes it worth any suffering. That makes it worth any surrender. It makes it worth it to go to Mexico. It, it makes it worth it in your 60s to go to Maine. It makes it worth it to stay where you are, Brother Bong, and serve there in the Philippines. And to train those men. The Christian church does not have a responsibility to climb up the ladders of social status. To establish a, a good evaluation from the world's kingdoms that look at them and say, wow, you look very successful. No, it's the absolute reverse of that. It is to point people not to our own glory, but to the glory of God. To the gospel of God. And Matt, if you'll come and begin to play, I'm going to try to close. This passage, listen, I don't know when you read that, if it did for you what it did for me. But when I read that passage, it confronts me. Confronts me. Well, Doug, it, I, I take a look as I read that, as I look into the mirror of God's word, Brother Noel, I look at it and it confronts the pride that's in my heart. The pride that says, it's about you. The pride that says, hold on, don't let go of that. The, the pride that says, I want to be comfortable. I don't want to have to suffer. This all stems from the pride that is in our hearts. And perhaps God is speaking to you this morning, but as a church, I want to remind you, that we as a church, we're not another social club. Going to church is not just another event during the week. No. We're coming together to worship. We're coming together because we need to be encouraged. We need to be challenged to get out on mission this week. And, and that's why with every passage, almost I'm confronted in my life. Jesus says, this is the kind of thinking and action that, that marks the culture. But it better not be this way with my children and my followers. So shall it not be with you. No, when they see you, they ought to see a difference in you and the guy across you in the office that's all about himself. When they look at your life and your, your possessions, and we've talked about them today, and I can't help but think of them again. Our founder, Brother Fred, and his dear wife, Miss Brenda. As I look around and I hear stories of what God is doing, 
I'm reminded that they invested much in the kingdom of God. It was their focal point. And they left that example for us that whatever God's gifted us with, hold on to it loosely for the kingdom of God. Let the world see our absolute surrender. Let the world see our humble service. Let the world see our extravagant sacrifice. Why? So that it might attract them to the truth of verse number 45, the gospel. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. Know what Jesus is saying? Guys, get your eyes off of success, greatness, leadership as the world sees it. And remember, you're living for a different kingdom. Because this life is short. Here today, gone tomorrow. You're going to throw all your eggs in this basket, you're going to throw them to the wind. So give your life in service to Christ.